0: I want you to think about a question tonight, okay? Why, why people, why don't people study the Bible? I'll come back to that in a minute, but let's just let that sink in for a moment. Why people don't study the Bible? Uh, Hendricks says in his book, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. He goes on to say, I love this quote here, dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. Dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. I think those are some great quotes, but they're more than just pithy sayings, they're true, aren't they? Uh, In fact, either you're in the Word, and the Holy Spirit is taking the Word and conforming you daily to the image of Christ, or you're in the world, and the world is squeezing you into its mold. One of those two things is happening. One of the greatest tragedies in the church today is many of us are under the Word, but not in the Word Uh, we'll drive halfway around the country to attend a Bible conference but we'll not walk into our own study and open the Bible for ourselves and begin studying it now nothing wrong with Bible conferences, nothing at all wrong with Bible conferences but things like that cannot be a substitute for reading and studying the Scripture for ourselves why don't people study the Bible? What would you say to that question tonight? Why do you think some people don't study it? Too busy. Too busy. They, think, they think they don't have time. Okay. George? Before I became a Christian, mm-hmm. I tried to the Bible. I, I got to the Lord. You, okay. I right. Uh, Before you were a believer, it's kind of like reading somebody else's mail, wasn't it? And you found it boring, okay? Okay? Somebody else. Takes work. Exactly. That reminds me of uh, a person that... uh, brought a Bible back to a missionary and threw it back on the table to him and said, you can have this book back that you were given out. The missionary said, why? He said, I don't know, but every time I read it, it kicks me. <laughs> so some people don't like that. Uh, some people, never really having gotten into that much Bible study for themselves, have been led to believe that the Bible is not relevant. You know, what's the Bible have to do with living in 2013? And uh, they've never got into serious Bible study patterns and, and uh, been diligent about studying the Bible and applying it, and they just don't see the relevancy of it. And so that's one reason uh, people indicate why they don't. Some people say, I'm just a layperson. I've never been to seminary. <clears throat> I can't be expected to understand all of that. Uh, Think to yourself, how often do you read the scripture? Uh, Would you answer to that question, never? Once a month, once a week, two or three times a week, or daily? You know what George Barna found out in surveys among professing believers? He found out that only 10% of professing believers in the church... Indicate that they actually read the Bible. One in ten. Boy, now that's a crying shame, isn't it? Because it's God's love letter to us. How are we ever going to get to know the mind and the heart of God if we don't systematically study His Word? How are we going to know much about the will of God if we don't study the Word of God and see how God related to people and dealt with people? We've got to read the scripture if we're going to uh, learn these things. Well, why study the Bible? What's in it for me? What will I gain by it? Uh, I want to suggest several things and then we're going to get into some real practical stuff tonight, but... First of all, I want you to write down that Bible study is essential to growth. Look at what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning there in verse 1. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, Peter has just finished saying at the end of chapter 1, all flesh is like grass. And what's the image there? That that human uh, life is fleeting. Uh, Life is but a vapor. And in contrast to that, he says, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And then he says, and this is the good news that was preached to you. But then he says, you've got to have an appetite for it like a newborn babe. You've got to crave the the pure spiritual milk that you might grow up into salvation. And so Bible study is essential to growth. He says something here about our attitude, right? Look at what he says there. He's describing the attitude of a newborn babe. Just as a newborn babe hollers and screams and cries for that bottle. I mean, you've you've all in here, just probably all of you, uh, had an infant at some time, right? And when that infant got hungry, he made sure he let you know about it, right? He screamed for that bottle. And that's the attitude that we're to have. We're to have uh, uh, the attitude uh, uh, of desire that we we want to know God's Word and we, we grab for it. Uh, The baby uh, has to have that milk to sustain his or her life uh, physically. And we need the word of God to sustain our spiritual life. So we need to have the proper attitude. And then he mentions something about appetite. You have to long for it. You have to crave it. Psalm 1910 says that the scripture is sweeter than honey. Now, you'd never know that by some people's Bible study, right? There are castor oil saints, right? Castor oil saints, yuck, but I know that it's good for what ails me, right? That's the attitude they have, yuck, but I guess I need to do something with it. It's good for what ails me. And and then there's shredded wheat saints. It's nourishing but dry. And then there's the strawberry and cream saints that uh, they just can't get enough. Now, how did they get like that? They've acquired a taste for it. How do you acquire a taste for it? By getting into the scripture and feasting on it. And what's the aim of our Bible study? What's Peter say the aim is? That we might grow up in our salvation. If you've tasted that the Lord is good, have you tasted that the Lord is good? Have you? Are you glad about your salvation? Are you really? You sure? I hope you are. Well, if we've been set free from our sins and saved and forgiven and have peace with God, we ought to want to know this God better, right? We ought to want to get to know him and what he's like and grow in our salvation. Be usable vessels to him. Now notice that Peter doesn't just simply here talk about knowledge. Knowledge is valuable. You can't grow without knowing. But but you can know without growing. But the aim here is growth. The Bible was written not simply to satisfy our curiosity, but to lead to our transformation. And, folks, this is the primary tool God has given us for our spiritual growth. So basic, but it's the primary tool. You fix it, guys in the church, or you mechanics, or guys around the house. What are some of the basic tools you have in your toolbox? Screwdriver, right? Hammer, pliers, different kinds of wrenches. Basic stuff. The Bible is the Christian's basic tool for growth. Basic tool. Now, I want you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 5, turn back there. Because I want you to see, secondly, that Bible study is essential to spiritual maturity. Look at what he says in Hebrews chapter 5 and verses 11 to 14. Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. The writer of Hebrews says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again The basic principles of the oracles of God You need milk not solid food For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child But solid food is for the mature For those who have their powers of discernment Trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil The writer of Hebrews says There's a lot that we've got to say to you right now but it's hard to explain. Why? Because of the difficulty of the revelation? No, not because of the difficulty of the revelation, but the density of the reception. There's a learning disability. What does he say about their learning disability? You've become what? Dull. Dull of hearing. And the key word here is time. He says by this time what should have happened in their lives? They should have been a whole lot further along in their understanding of God's word. They should have been able to have been teachers by this point. But he says, you're still like babes. Instead of being in God's high school, you're still in God's preschool. And you're having to learn ABCs all over again. Instead of being able at a point in your life by now of instructing others, you're still having to be instructed. He says, in fact, you still need milk. You ought to be on the meat. He says, but that's for the mature. Now who are the mature? Are the mature seminary graduates? No. The writer simply says here you're mature if you have trained yourself through the constant use of scripture to discern good and and evil. What's the key here though to becoming mature? What's he say the key is? Constant practice. Right? Right? Constant practice A lifestyle of reading and studying and learning the word of God Constant practice The more we're in the word of God The more we learn Our appetite increases We want to read and study more and know more We read more and study more We get more and more and more and more grounded But it's that constant practice practice he says that's the key well thirdly i want you to notice tonight that uh, from second timothy 3 bible study is essential to spiritual effectiveness over in second timothy chapter 3 beginning in verse 16 paul says all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. All scripture. That means Leviticus too, doesn't it? Ouch. How about Deuteronomy? Can you find Deuteronomy? Do you know when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, which book did he quote from the most? From Deuteronomy, exactly In fact, all three of his quotations there are from the book of Deuteronomy So what if your spiritual life and your maturity Was determined by your knowledge of the book of Deuteronomy Would you pass? Pass Paul says all scripture is profitable for four things. First of all, notice what he mentions here. Doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is the content of what we ought to believe as Christians. That's the substance in the Bible. The things that God wants us to know. And then he mentions secondly, rebuke. The Bible tells us when our life is out of bounds. It's kind of like an umpire that the L's uh, safe or out. It it tells you what uh, what sin and, and what God's standards are. And then correction, thirdly, it shows you not only the wrong but the right. Okay, you might think if such and such is the wrong path to take, then what's the right path? The Bible shows you that too. And then notice he says, lastly, for training in righteousness. It, it provides the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month instruction that you need so you can grow and be effective for God. Have you ever thought, I wish I were more effective for God? Well, if, if we would all study the Bible more, we would be more effective for God. He says, through the scripture, the man of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work okay getting started if Bible study is that important that foundational to our Christian life and to, to, to our growth where do we get started first of all let me encourage you to go out and buy you a good study Bible if you don't have one there's, there's five of them on the market that I really like uh, I've got all of these but one and essentially I don't I don't have it because it's the same as another one. I'll talk about that in a, a minute but I do have four of these but uh, the Ryrie Study Bible is a good one. Who's got the Ryrie Study Bible? Okay. How about the MacArthur Study Bible? Who's got that one? That's a good one, isn't it? And the uh, NIV study Bible and the NAS study Bible are are the same, same notes, different translations, same notes. I've got the NIV version of it. Who's got either one of those, the NIV or the NAS study Bible? Okay. And then probably one of the more thorough and complete study Bibles on the market today is the ESV study Bible. You got one of those? Okay. And what's so good about these books, uh, Not only do they have some great points in them, some articles and theology articles and all that kind of stuff in them, but great book introductions and they they kind of give you an overview of every book and what that book is about. But at the bottom of every page, what do you find? You find some good study notes, don't you? And those study notes help. A a good study Bible is just so basic to a, a Christian library. A second thing you ought to have in your library is an exhaustive concordance. Now, most of us have a concordance at the back of our Bibles, but the, the concordance at the back of your Bible is not exhaustive. Now, what do, what do I mean by exhaustive concordance? Leaves no stone unturned. No stone unturned. It, do, it deals with all the words in the Scripture, right? You, you think about it. it, it's really beyond the scope. Your concordance at the, the back of your Bible, it's not really the purpose of those concordances to deal with every word. Let's say you wanted to look up the word day in the scripture and see where all the word day is used in the scripture in different contexts and so forth. In, in the back of your Bible, it, it may only mention one or two of those occurrences. It might be used 45 times. It just mentions... Maybe two or three, but an exhaustive will give you all of the references. So an exhaustive concordance is good to have. Again, you've got the one in the back of your Bible, but buy an exhaustive one. Like Strong's, for instance. Uh, Another Bible study tool would be a good Bible dictionary. Now, uh, by a Bible dictionary, I don't mean something like Webster's. That defines... Uh, English words, but a Bible dictionary gives a a brief explanation on people and places and events in the Bible. If we're told that David sacrificed a bullock, what's a bullock? Well, a good Bible dictionary is going to have an article on that. Get you a good Bible dictionary. And, and then a, a good one or two volume commentary. Now, obviously, I like to go out and buy commentaries like crazy. And I don't buy sets because I usually don't because sets are unbalanced. Find the best writer on a book of the Bible. If you ever have a question about that, I'd be glad to help you. And, and i go out and buy, buy author, not series. But uh, everybody can buy these one or two volume commentaries on the Bible. Uh, the one put out by the, the Bible Knowledge Commentary, put out by the professors at Dallas Theological Seminary. That's a two volume, that's an excellent two volume commentary. John MacArthur's got a one volume commentary out. There's, there's loads of them. Just go to Lifeway or somewhere like Lifeway and, and ask them to help you in, in some of those one or two volume commentaries. You don't have that in your library. Get a good word study book, something like Vincent's Word Studies or A.T. Robertson, one of our Baptists. You say, now, wait a minute, Pastor. You're talking about maybe investing 250 $300 in a basic Bible library. Sure. If the Bible is the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, and every word matters and every book matters, why would we not want to build a basic library on the Word of God? I mean, that just seems like something that we'd want to do. I mean, we want to buy plates and dishes and utensils and cooking pots and all that for our food. Why wouldn't we want just at least some kind of basic library for our, for our Christian growth? I mean, that just seems like it's a no-brainer. Invest $250, $300 in some basic Bible study tools. You'll get so much more out of your Bible reading. As you read a passage and, and you turn to some of those reference works and you start digging in and studying and you, lights come on, you're like, whoa, that's neat. And, 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 and boy, you just start learning stuff like that. And the, and the Bible just, it's like God's truth just jumps off the pages to you the more and more you study it. But it, it takes an investment, doesn't it? An investment of our time and effort this week, if, if you don't have some of those basic Bible study tools, pop me an email and say, some of those things you mentioned, give me, give me some names and authors. I'd be happy to, to help you out with some of that. But start making an investment in that. Now, as we talk about studying the Bible, just kind of want to give you an overview of what I what we'll talk about tonight, next week, maybe even the week after that. Remember the goal of Bible study is life change. The first thing Hendricks talks about in his book, Living by the Book, is observation. He talks about observation, interpretation, and application. But first, observation. In in the step of observation, you read a chapter, for instance, in the Bible. And as you're reading and studying that chapter in the Bible, you're like a newspaper reporter. What's the questions that you're uh, asking? Who, what, when, where, how? Just asking those basic questions Uh, of the passage as you read it and and folks let me say something about that when you you read a book in the Bible you you may initially want to do an overview of the book but go back and, and study it and ask those observation questions most of us read too much and we reflect too little and that's why we don't remember five minutes after we've read something, where it's the Bible or newspaper or whatever, five minutes after we've read something. If somebody asks us, what was it about? Uh, wait, wait a minute, let me see, I, I'm not sure I remember. We read too much. Of course, that's not really the problem. We, I, probably nowadays in modern times, we don't read enough. But it's, it's a general rule that we read too much and reflect too little. Or I should say, given the amount that we read, the reflection part of it is far too little. Right? And so going back and read, asking those reporter questions and, and jotting down notes about that helps. You need to go to the scripture like an investigator and, and observing what's there. No word, no verse, no chapter is unimportant. No detail is trivial. Now let's think about some things we'll cover under observation. Look for terms. A a term is more than just a word. It's It's a key word that's crucial to what the author has to say. For instance, in John's gospel, the word believe appears no less than 79 times always as a verb, never as a noun. Do some investigative work on that word. You'll discover that John uses the word believe very purposefully. Same principle holds true in every book of the Bible. There's key words, there's key terms. Learn to to recognize them and, and make note of them. Isaiah, for instance, over and over and over again talks about the Holy, Israel, the Holy One of 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 Israel. Terms and key phrases that they use over and over and over and over and over again. So make note of some of those. Make note of the structure. The Bible's not just thrown together. In each book of the Bible, you find structure. The the writer lays out his thoughts. Sentences and paragraphs work together. If you write a term paper with a key central idea and then you have three or four points that develops that key central idea, what's that? That's structure. The Bible writers do the same. As you read down through a passage in the Scripture... Maybe maybe make note of all the independent clauses and then go back and fill in, look for the dependent clauses and, and which independent clause, each dependent clause modifies. You wouldn't want to build a sermon or a Sunday school lesson off of uh, just a secondary thought I mean secondary thoughts are important they modify the main thought but if you're really going to get at the key thought of a passage you want to look for those independent clauses the main points and then hang the dependent clauses on the independent clause that it goes with just observing the structure Of the verse and the structure of of the paragraph. And and then again, just the overall structure of a book. Again, I, I mentioned about John's gospel. At the end of John's gospel, you find out what John has to say and why he wrote. He said, Jesus did many things. In fact, if I recorded all of them, all the books of the world wouldn't be able to hold it. But these things I've written to you that you might do what? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so if you go through the Gospel of John, you would find the prologue, chapter 1. Beginning in chapter 2 and going all the way down through chapter 12, you would find miracles that Jesus did. And each one of those miracles in the Gospel of John is to point toward Jesus' identity as being the Son of God. John's not wanting just to build miracle chasers. He's wanting us to see that each one of those miracles... John did the Greek word he uses is simeon it's something that stood or pointed to something else and it pointed to Jesus identity as the son of God and from chapter 2 to chapter 12 uh, the public ministry part of John's gospel uh, John is showing over and over and over and over again how Jesus did the works of the father And he closes out chapter 12 by giving one last evangelistic appeal to the masses to come to him while there's time. And then chapter 13 to 16 is John in the upper room just with his disciples. No more public ministry, it's just the the private time with his disciples. Then chapter 17 he prays for them. And he prays for us, it's that great high priestly prayer. And then the rest of John's gospel, chapter 18 on, deals with the passion narratives. The suffering, the death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. There's structure to John's gospel. Again, every book in the Bible has that. And some of these basic tools that you use will help you see that structure. And when you understand a structure of a book in the Bible, your appreciation for it only grows. You just see how how beautiful it is, how everything just fits together so marvelously. If you were studying the book of Judges like we've done before, what would you notice about the, the book of Judges? What's what's unique to the book of Judges? What's repeated over and over and over again in the book of Judges? (laughs) These seven cycles of sin and judgment and restoration and complacency and then it all starts over again, right? They're comfortable, they're complacent, and so God sends them trials. They fall into oppression they cry out to God. God sends them a deliverer. They enjoy the deliverance. They spend a number of years after that deliverance. Life is good, but then they forget God and they fall right back into sin and complacency again, and the cycle repeats. Seven cycles uh, of sin and restoration in the Book of Judges. Did you know that? Did you know that's how the Book of Judges were structured? Seven cycles. You've heard the old saying, same song, second verse. Same song, second verse, third verse, fourth verse, fifth verse, sixth verse and seventh verse in the book of Judges. Shows us something about human nature, but also teaches us something about the grace of God, doesn't it? But you see, it's not just randomly strung together stories. There's a point to it all. Structure. Notice the literary form As you're reading a book of the Bible Pay attention to the genre The Bible uh, contains historical narrative It, It contains wisdom literature like Psalms and Proverbs It contains Gospels Within the Gospels there's parables In the Epistles there's didactic literature, teaching literature like the book of James is very didactic, very instructional, every, like every verse you read. Then there's apocalyptic material, prophetic material and apocalyptic material. You can't read historical narrative like you do didactic material, for example. And those of you who teach Sunday school, you know that. You, you read uh, you, uh, uh, a scene in 1 Samuel. It may take three or four chapters for that scene to develop. And you think, man, how am I going to outline that? And you look for some different principles. You, oh, I see this and this narrative and this and this and this. Very different from how if you're teaching the book of James, right? So pay attention to genre. Uh, The atmosphere of a book You want to know what makes Philippians all the more powerful As you study about joy and contentment What I mean as you think about Paul's theme there in Philippians of contentment What is it that blows you away about contentment? What is it about Paul's situation? He's in jail, he's under house arrest and yet he's writing about joy and contentment. Wow. Boy, that makes his words all the more powerful. He's not writing out of some ivory tower. is he? He's under house arrest. He's under bondage and yet he's content. What's that say to us about our contentment? Does everything have to be perfect in your life or my life before we're content or have peace and joy? As we think about observation Remember what the psalmist prayed The psalmist in 119, 18, Psalm 119 verse 18 said Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law God op- open my eyes to what's in this that I'm going to read today Help me to see Help me to see What makes one person a better Bible student from from another? But just basically it's that person sees more. The same truth is available to both individuals. Sherlock Holmes said, you see but you don't observe. Could that be said of a lot of us in our Bible study? You see but you don't observe. That's the problem with us. And again, the skills of observation, they just have to be developed. There was a renowned 19th century naturalist out of Harvard. He was asked on one occasion, what's your greatest contribution scientifically? And he answered, "I, I believe that I have taught men and women to observe. And he used a fascinating process to do that. He would place a fish in a dissecting tray. He would would stick it in front of freshmen and he would say, observe this specimen and write down everything you see. Well, the student would immediately come up with a list of 20 or 30 things. The next day, the professor would say, how many things? 37. Good, keep going. Every day, this process would be repeated for For two or three weeks. Now after the first day the the freshman student thought he had recorded everything. And he was frustrated that the professor was sending him back to the stage of observation again. But but again as, as he developed this over days and days and days and weeks. His skills at observation grew. And he never realized that there was so much to see there. And this guy, when I, again, when he was asked, what's your contribution to the classroom? He said, I think more than anything, I've taught my students to observe. Well, folks, we need to go to God's Word with that attitude. If all Scripture is inspired by God, if it's all the inspired Word of God, that means every verse, every phrase, every word's important, right? What's there? What do you say? We need to, we need, and in Bible study, we need to first of all, I think, grow our observation skills. What's there? How good are you at observing? How good are you at observing? You pretty good at it? Are you? How many steps lead up to your front porch? Do you know? Seriously. How many stoplights do you go through on your way to work? Which of the following inscription is not on the back of a dollar bill? A, in God we trust. B, annuit coeptus novas ordo seclorum. Somebody, I see some grabbing out dollar bills looking. <laughs> C. The Department of Treasury, 1789 or D. E. Pluribus Unum which those four is not on the back of a dollar bill. You have any idea? Yeah, take out a dollar bill real quick. And look. See what's on the back. What's on the back of a dollar bill? Remember the fourth thing. In God we trust. it. coeptis, novos, ordum, seclorum. The Department of Treasury 1789. And E Pluribus. Unum. Which is not on the back? Hmm? Hey, eh? In God we trust? You say that's not on the back? Is that on the back? Okay. How about the Latin phrase annuit? Coeptus novus ordum seclorum. Is that there? Okay. How about E pluribus unum? Is that there? Okay. So what's not there? Department of Treasury. Treasury. Where's that? That's on the front side. (laughs) Say what? C's not. C's on the front. Front right. You what? I, I can't hear you, Phil. I'm sorry. The what? Yeah, how many pe- people notice that that's, that's the church? Okay. What was the title and the scripture text of the sermon this morning? I've gotten people on that one before. I, I've, I've met up with some people before for lunch. who, You know, friends or family go to another church and they'd say, Man, our pastor had the best sermon this morning. Really? What did he preach on? Uh, 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 uh. I turned to the other one. There was a couple one time, a married couple, and, and, and one of them said that. Oh, boy, he preached the best sermon this morning. What was it on? Uh, 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 uh. And he kind of laughed, and I asked his wife, what was it on? Oh, boy, it was the best sermon this morning. Uh, 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 uh. And they laughed. They didn't remember. Now this was only 15-20 minutes after the sermon. Boy, they came over to the house and they were pumped about what their pastor had preached on. But when asked, they couldn't remember. Is your mom left-handed or right-handed? How about your dad? Is he right-handed or left-handed? How many miles has it been since you changed the oil in each of your cars? Could you guess that within 500 to 1,000 miles of accuracy? Could you? Well, good. What'd your wife wear yesterday, or what'd your husband wear yesterday? Do you remember? We need to have an eye for detail when it comes to Bible study. You know, sometimes a storyline will turn, the whole storyline will turn on just one little detail. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that? How one little detail, one little thing in a story can, can change the whole flow or the lesson of what's being said there. It's true, isn't it? What makes you think Zacchaeus was converted? Okay, but what would be the evidence that would show us that Zacchaeus was converted? He gave, Lord, if I've cheated anybody, fourfold restitution shows us some, some change taking place in his heart, right? Little details and stories that make a big difference. Observation, again, getting the right study tools, good study Bible, basic commentary, some maps, dictionary of the Bible, exhaustive concordance, just some basic, basic, basic study tools. And taking time to sit down and read thoughtfully, paying attention to structure, key words, key thoughts main clauses, how the main clauses fit together with one another, how the dependent clauses modify those main clauses, what's what's being said, how it all fits together, structure, and observing, 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 observing. I can guarantee you if you'll take time to do that, You will get so much more out of your Bible reading. So much more out of it. And and the Bible will actually, I mean, it's like it just starts coming to life to you. You're like, wow. And and you just, it's it's amazing what happens when you take a little bit of time, a little bit of forethought into it. Take out your Bibles a minute Take out your Bibles a minute Everybody find Acts 1-8 Acts 1-8 Okay Just one verse Not how I would recommend you do things in Bible study But one verse in these closing moments All we've got time for really one verse. Pay attention to context and everything, okay? Kind of scoot over next to somebody who's beside you and talk about it for a second. What all do you see in this verse? But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What all do you notice there? Observation. What do you notice? Like I say, just talk for a minute with that person next to you. How many things can you observe and notice out of that verse? Somebody said they noticed four things out of it. They held up four fingers. There's a whole lot more. If you just notice four things, you're just getting started. (laughs) Ha, <laughs> ha, Okay, what do you notice? It's a sure thing. Hmm? It's a sure thing. You will. Okay. A certainty? It's a promise? Okay. Okay. The spread of gospel will start at one place and migrate. As people with it. Okay. The outgrowing concentric circles? Okay. Let's, let's back up even before all that. That's good. Let's back up before even all that. How about context? What were they concerned about? When are they going to restore the kingdom? Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? Okay? It's not that that's not important, but Jesus redirected their focus here. There'd be time and place for that, but here's what I want you to concentrate on, right? What was it he wanted them to concentrate on? Being a witness. But you Who's he talking to? Who's Jesus talking to here? Is he talking to The pagans in a Greek temple That worshipped an idol? No who's, who's the you? The disciples You will receive what, What's receive indicate? Somebody said it? It'd be a gift. You will receive. Okay? That's kind of passive in a way. Mm hmm. Because it's coming from outside. Exactly. They'll, they'll receive what? Power. Okay? Will they receive power when they take their multivitamin after breakfast? No? When are they gonna receive power? When the Holy Spirit Oh, who's the Holy Spirit? Third person of the Trinity, right? And what's he gonna to do to them? What's the Holy Spirit gonna to do to them? He's gonna come upon them. Upon each believer. That's a New Testament concept, isn't it? Holy Spirit on each believer, in each believer. Okay? And then you, again, who's the you? The disciples will be whose witnesses? Jesus' witnesses. In Jerusalem, what do you notice about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth? Where were they as they received this promise from from Christ? They were in Jerusalem. Starting right here. As we read the book of Acts, where do we see the gospel going? It's almost like an outline to the book of Acts, isn't it? Early chapters are in Jerusalem. Then to the rest of Judea. And then after the stoning of Stephen, where would the gospel go next? Out into Samaria. And then once you come down to Acts chapter thirteen, and you see Paul and Barnabas being commissioned, where does the gospel go from there? Starts going out to the world after that, right? Jesus had good question. Jesus had spoken to his disciples uh, in the upper room. What I said a moment ago about the gospel of John. Remember in John thirteen to sixteen. There's private time he spent with his disciples in the upper room. And he talked to them a lot about the ministry of the Holy Spirit after he left. Mm -hmm. Well, he referred to the comforter, the helper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you see, if you just slow down, I mean, that's just one verse. Just observe, observe, observe. Observe It does It surely does Yep Because again he's just He's redirecting their thinking there right yep. Observation Again Basic tool In your spiritual tool chest just like around the house screwdriver, hammer and a wrench is about as basic as it gets this this is as basic as it gets the tool that God's given us to grow but we've got to put forth the effort we've got to read, we've got to study buy some basic tools that help you invest it's worth the money I promise you it's worth the money Invest in tools. Read. Read systematically. Study, study books of the Bible, keywords, key phrases, structure, the investigative questions, who, what, when, where, how, and observe. Observe. See, we wanna we wanna jump right on immediately to application before we've even really observed everything right we get ahead of ourselves observe what what can you see about this text that you're reading develop those observation skills this week invest in you some basic tools Again, email me if you want some suggestions Go out and invest in some basic tools. And then change your reading habits. Instead of just flying through something, be more purposeful in your Bible reading and study. And you will get to the end of six months, a year, however long, reading through your Bible, and you will have gotten so much more out of it so much more out of it. Okay? Well, we're going to continue this discussion next week. Yes. I might mention christianbook.com. Uh-huh. an excellent resource to purchase great Yes. christianbook.com. So many online sites, bookstores, and all that, yep. Yep. Uh-huh. Blue Letter Bible. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, That she just mentioned that. Oh, okay. The web the website. Yeah. E Sword. Exactly. Yes. Yes. But, and, and, that's, and that's something that like the writer of Hebrews is talking about Through constant practice, through reading Book after book, chapter after chapter Boy, we, we see how God dealt with people in different periods of times and, 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 and we start seeing those patterns You know, it's like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 about the Old Testament He said, all those things were written for your instruction. And, and, and we learn how the Lord thinks and what He expects. And over time, we're able to more and more and more and more discern the will of God. Yeah. But if all you're doing, and, and it's not that I'm just trying to be critical of these little devotional guides, but if that's all you're using, you are really shortchanging yourself. If you're reading a verse... And then in that little devotional guide below that verse, there might be a little paragraph what they've written about it. And then a little, little prayer. And that's your Bible reading for the day. That verse, a little paragraph, prayer. And then the next day, it might grab part of a verse out of an entirely different part of the Word of God. And if that's all the Bible reading you're ever exposed to, you, you just, you're not going to see how it all fits together by, by using those little devotional guides. Uh, I prefer, I, I'm, again, they serve their purpose but I don't even use those little devotional guides because it's just what you get out of them is just one little phrase in a verse maybe not even the whole verse or maybe one verse that's all, You might be out of James 2 today and DeMar's Bible reading might be out of Numbers 1 and then the day after that out of Revelation 2 You're never going to see how things are structured and fit together that way I don't even do, don't even do that So anyway Yes Exactly Yeah Good point Like I mentioned a moment ago When we started talking about observation And the prayer of the psalmist Lord just open my eyes Help me to see What's here You authored this Help me to see That's right. That's exactly right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, amen. Well, Dan, would you close us in prayer?